Uh, it's good to see you this morning. This is Memorial Day weekend. It, it, it really is an opportunity to remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for the freedom that we enjoy. And uh, I hope that we're taking that opportunity to be thankful for, for them and to remember those who have died and, and the appreciation for the freedom. What do we do with our freedom? Well, we go to the lake <laughs> and the things like that. And, and it's part of it. Uh, families are able to get together, but there are those families who have maybe some individuals that are missing uh, because of the sacrifices that have been made for the freedom that we have. So in, as I begin the sermon this morning, or before I begin the sermon this morning, we're just, we're just going to pray. Uh, we're going to just lift up a praise before God for the freedom that we have and, and the cost that was given for that and, and appreciating those who have given their lives. And then to also pray for the sermon, for the, the opportunity we have this morning to open the scriptures and to learn from, the, learn from that. So let's do that. Let's bow our... Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise. Uh, God, you have created so well when we are able to wake up and experience every new day to see uh, uh, just, just the freshness uh, of that day as it comes. We give you praise, Lord, for the grace that we have through Jesus, the, the willingness that he sacrificed himself upon the cross, that we could be here uh, as your people, as your children, and to be able to celebrate that. Father, also this morning, we celebrate the fact that we live in a nation that has the freedoms that we have, and, and we know, Lord, that it didn't, didn't come at, at, at no price. It came at a great price. So, Father, help us to remember and to express our thanks for those who uh, served their nation, and many of those, Lord, who, who gave their lives um, for that cause of freedom. We ask, Lord, to, to continue to be with our soldiers and those who are overseas now and those who are with us today, Lord. Bless them, strengthen them, and, and watch over them. And now, Father, as we open your word, uh, today we ask, Lord, to, that our ears are attentive and that the Spirit is working upon our hearts um, with the scriptures we have today. Lord, may it challenge us with the gospel and, and what it means. And Lord, help just strengthen us, encourage us, even change us, Lord. Continue to change us with your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, Matthew preached a sermon that was entitled, Mission Unhindered. Did a great job. Uh, and I appreciate Matthew and, and stepping in when he does. He always does such a, a great job when he does. Um, my title this morning... I know I put immovable root because I thought that that would fit more with our overall, you know, scheme walking through or working through the book of Acts. We've entitled it all Taking Root. So the title this morning, I said immovable root. And, and identifying with that, it's been, you know, that gospel, the gospel message. Jesus' death and resurrection is the very root that the church is built upon. It's where we get our strength. It is the very existence of who we are as believers in Christ. I, I actually had a different title, and I, I called it Enduring Gospel. The gospel we have is enduring. It is continuous. It, it cannot be removed. 
And that really kind of connects with what Matthew had last week, mission unhindered. Um, uh, last week in, in the passage, again, it was, it was that place where Luke is identifying where the church is, and it's exciting. Uh, earlier on, there was someone doing some counting of those who were coming to Christ. Look in chapter 2, it, it, there was 3,000 who came to believe in Jesus, identified with Christ, and, and began to follow after Jesus. And, and then later on, we see 5,000 were counted uh, along those who were coming to know Christ. But now we've come to a time in the verse previous in Matthew's text where they stopped counting. Uh, there's a boy, and more people were coming, and there were multiple men and multiple uh, multitudes of, of women coming. So someone started counting. It maybe just didn't have the, the, the capacity or ability to do that. So I find that very interesting. So the momentum continues for the church in what it's saying. And, and there's healing going on. There's, there's both physical healing and, and also spiritual healing through that gospel message that's being proclaimed. And, and it is a very exciting time here in the early uh, chapters of Acts. Uh, but there are some who are not excited about this gospel at all. They're not excited. Matter of fact, they, they want and will attempt to do whatever it takes to get rid of this continued message of Jesus Christ. Uh, the group we're about to read about is the Sadducees. It's there in the first verse. We're, we're going to be looking at verses 17, actually through the end of the chapter. But we're going to begin just by reading 17 through 24. And there's a story here, but there's some things that we want to definitely uh, pull out of here. And it is focused upon this enduring gospel. Keep that in mind. Here it is, verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in, in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors and of, the, of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing in the doors, at the, at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss wondering what this might lead to. The Sadducees. We'll talk a little bit more about, uh, about this group, this religious group. But, but foundationally, uh, it, we continue to talk about this gospel message. It's being spread, and now it's become a controversy. It's become a difficulty that the Sadducees face. And there's a realization that, that we have that, that we're going to pick up today about this gospel. This gospel is a threat. Uh, this gospel is a threat. As you declare it, as you proclaim it into the world, the, you need to know the gospel is a threat and that it cannot be removed. 
There's, there's some good news in that and some bad news. It's a threat, but it cannot be removed. We're going to see that. So here, here are a couple truths I just want to share with you this morning concerning this gospel message. When I say gospel, I mean that good news, the best news. There's no greater news in the fact that God sent Jesus into this world to pay the price for our sinfulness. And to, and to redeem us and to bring us back into a right relationship with God. Amen. All right. So let's proceed. Here's a couple of truths about the gospel we're going to get from this passage uh, today. Uh, the gospel threatens the status quo. Why, why is there difficulty with the gospel? Well, it is a threat to, to, to the way things are in this world. Uh, the threat for these Sadducees is... is a, Basically, that they see themselves losing control. And these are guys who have control, you know, men of authority over Israel. And, and this authority is actually given to them. I'll say this now. This authority is actually given to them, the, the actual ruling authority, which was Rome. But these, these Sadducees were in a position of authority over all of Israel. Uh, they were helplessly losing their authority, and they, they knew it. Let, let me talk to you just a little bit more about the Sadducees. We don't know a whole lot. I've, I have said some things. I might repeat some things, but I think it's very important we know who they are. Uh, this was not what you would call a very spiritual group. They, they were not a people who were looking for God to be involved in the world uh, at, at their time. Uh, they held to the first five books of the Old Testament. That's all that Moses wrote. It was, it was Genesis through Deuteronomy. Those five books they held to. So they saw the history of the beginning of all things. Matter of fact, even a focus on the beginning of, of Israel as a nation through Abraham. And as they became into a nation, they were also uh, the focus of that law they were given. The law they gave instruction of how we'll live life. That's how they conducted themselves over authority. They held on to those first five books. They all, they're also people theologically that believed very much in free will, that God gave free will. Matter of fact, God wasn't involved much at all in their lives at the time. He established everything through those first five books, and, and really the authority they had was theirs. They didn't look to God uh, for, for help or for direction. Um, also, along with that, that idea of they weren't very spiritual, they didn't see supernatural things. They, they didn't believe in angels or demons. They didn't believe in heaven or hell. And, and as I've said before, these are guys who didn't believe in any kind of resurrection. There is no resurrection. That when people die, your soul died with you. You were done. You were gone. And, and that's the Sadducees. Now, their positions of authority... Uh, specifically was they had authority over the temple, the temple, and they also had authority over the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like 71 members. It was, it was 71 members in the Sanhedrin. And it was made up of these Sadducees, also Pharisees, and maybe some Essenes, another group that, that we haven't really talked a lot about. But it was made up, and they were called the elders uh, of, of over Israel. And, and the Sadducees were the domineering party or the group within the Sanhedrin. As a matter of fact, the, the high priest at the time, uh, time during, during Jesus, during that trial, and also this, the beginnings of the church was Annas and his son-in-law Caiaphas. 
and, and, and also mentioned in, in the last verse we read, that temple guard, uh, he is also a Sadducee. So they had, they had complete authority over the temple and over the, uh, over the uh, Sanhedrin. Now, uh, we look into the scriptures, and I think there's pretty good indication that these guys were crooked. They, they, they were doing some things to take advantage of people, and, and which is amazing to us. We don't know anybody in places of, of great authority that would ever take advantage of anybody, right? Well, we know what, we know what happens when people find themselves in places of authority. They seek advantages, or they find advantages and definitely take, take that out of the people. Uh, the Sadducees and the responsibility over the temple used to run the 7-Eleven. Well, I call it, forgive me, that probably is going to go over your head. The 7-Eleven is that convenience store outside the temple where they were selling animals for sacrifice. And there was also a money changers table there. And in each case, they were charging a fee to change money. For one, uh, for, for one thing, you're bringing a tithe to the temple. It required a certain coinage. So you're coming from uh, other places. You bring your coins. There was a changing of the money, and it cost you, okay? So they found an advantage in that. But they also found advantage in the sacrifices. What was happening was people would bring their animal, whether even a dove for the poor or, or a lamb or something else to be sacrificed, they would find something wrong with it. Well, there's a blemish here. Here, well, you could exchange it for one of ours for a fee, are you getting me on this? See that? And then somebody else would come along and they would take that same animal they said is not worthy or, or not the perfect sacrifice and exchange it. And, and they would charge another fee. You see, this, this could be very lucrative and very, very, uh, uh, very much a catch cow, cash cow for the Sadducees. They were crooked. Jesus referred to them. Well, we know that Jesus came in and 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 turn tables over, you know, in that final week before uh, he was arrested and then crucified. He came into the temple to their 7-Eleven and began flipping tables uh, of the money changers, and, and he caused quite a disruption, and, and he said, you know, this is a house of prayer, and you have made it a, a den of thieves or a den of robbers. That's out of Luke chapter, uh, chapter 19, if you'd like to check that out. So Jesus identified it. Matter of fact, John the Baptist, even earlier, identified these guys, spoke the truth concerning them. In Matthew chapter 3, 7, he called them a brood of vipers. A brood of vipers brought condemnation down upon these so-called religious leaders, along with the Pharisees. Jesus also identified the Pharisees, along with the Sadducees, called them a wicked and adulterous generation. Matthew 6. In the first few verses of Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 16. And, and, and so these are, these are uh, really leadership that is crooked and, and have taken advantage. And they like the things the way they are. Matter of fact, they like the things the way they are so much they got rid of Jesus. And once they got rid of Jesus, guess what? Now the message of Jesus is being promoted and look what's happening. Multitudes of men, multitudes of women, and all these good things are happening. So what's happening within, within these Sadducees? Verse 17, they're growing in jealousy. 
we understand that, right? They're growing in jealousy of all the attention that now these Israelites are giving to this message of Jesus. And guess what's happening in the temple? Do you think people who are identifying Jesus as their sacrifice are going there and, and purchasing the, the animals for sacrifice anymore? No, they don't need to go for that sacrifice anymore because they have a perfect lamb that has died for them for all time, right? Do we see a problem in this? Yeah, terrible jealousy going on with these Sadducees. These guys are presenting a message that is absolutely going to destroy what, what good thing they had going on. Along with that, Later in verse 24, we also identify the fear that they have. Uh, what, what happens within our story is, you know, just, just like Peter and John were placed in prison in, in chapter 2, uh, or excuse me, chapter 3, uh, when they were placed in prison uh, overnight, and, and then they were going to hear, you know, before the council the next day, now the apostles are, are imprisoned. And an angel at night comes and releases them. Obviously, uh, unbeknownst to the, the guard, somehow they, they walk past the guard. And in the morning when they came, the, everything was locked up. The guards were in place. They had no idea that they had, they were, they had been released. And, and there they were in the temple, again, declaring the message uh, of, of Christ. Uh, there, there's something that, a, a passage of scripture that came to my mind when it came to these Sadducees. Luke chapter 14, verse 28, uh, which says, for, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? It's that idea of count the cost. Anyone who, who hears this message of Jesus Christ has to count the cost. That means something has to happen. That's why that word repentance is used over and over again in this, this book of uh, Acts. Or, or that Peter was referring to. And now the apostles are, are calling for repentance of people. Because it requires change. Anyone who comes to Jesus has to know that there's going to be some changes made in our lives because of Jesus. He comes to rule. Uh, what does it mean? You know, what, what is going to have to change? Verse 33 really brings out the details of that. He says, Jesus said, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that, is, that, has, all that he has cannot be my disciple. Someone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my, my disciple. The, the, the Sadducees really had a problem here. They had authority, right? They, had, they liked the way things are. And there was not going to be any changes. So, so one of the things they had to face was some things really needed to change. Things are going to change regardless. Change is coming. But now they have the choice to change. They could turn their backs upon their own corruption and, and, and repent of their sinfulness and then be right with God. Who The challenge is, okay, he is living, he rose from the dead, and God is involved. Those are some challenges that the Sadducees had to face. It's challenges we have to face as well if we're going to truly receive and follow after Jesus. We have to do what? Let things go. 
let things go. In places of authority, the things that we have, being able to let things go and be able to follow after Christ. There is a second truth I think is very important in here. It, it, and it, the truth is this, that the gospel cannot be silenced. The gospel cannot be silenced. Uh, miraculously, again, they were released from prison. Angel let them out and then told them, hey, go back and, and continue teaching, which they were told not to do, but the, you know, angel said, you're going to do it. In 25 through 27, we see what's taking place. You know, the Sanhedrin comes together, those Pharisees, Sadducees on the Sanhedrin, they, they come together, they're going to hear from these apostles, they go to get them, they're not there. And then someone finds, oh, well, wait a minute, they're in the temple teaching. And so they are politely asked, they go to the, the, the temple guard goes to the, uh, uh, to the apostles and they politely ask with all very careful terms, and ask, would you follow us? We want you to come see the Sanhedrin. They're gathered for you. And they, they did it because they didn't. They were afraid of the crowds, you know, the multitudes that we hear about. Um, where they find themselves once again standing before the Sanhedrin, being questioned by the high priest. Uh, there, verse 28 through 30, 33 is where I'd like to, to pick up. Uh, Here's, here, they're, they're being questioned by the, the, the high priest. Verse 28 says, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. He said, Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Wasn't really a question there, was it? It, it, it was a statement. Here's what you're doing. Going on, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, when the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Let, let me unpack this just a little bit. First of all, I want you to notice that, that the Sanhedrin posed no threat to the apostles. The apostles were not afraid of the Sanhedrin. They, they, matter of fact, they responded again, hey, we're not listening to you. We're going to listen to God. And where, where, where God speaks and it's in conflict, who do you listen to? Well, man, we want to hear and respond to the very word of God, right? That's where the apostles are in this passage. Uh, and what's interesting to me is I, I don't see the sand or the high priest coming and say, well, how did you get out of jail? Isn't that curious? How did you get out? I mean, they were worried about this. What's going to come of this? They already had an idea. The previous time, it was a healing that brought them before the, this, this council. It was a healing, and they were, I, I, I think what I see is they were very embarrassed by it because here is this, this man who was absolutely lame, and everybody knew it, is now standing before him with restored legs. So he's avoiding, I, they're avoiding this question. They're avoiding the question. He said, well, how'd you get out? Well, maybe they had an idea. That, that we, we don't want to hear that. 
They really wanted to focus on the question why they're there. Why are you still doing what you're doing? Why are you still continuing to, to teach about Jesus when we told you not to? That was the important question to the Sanhedrin. They didn't want to hear any more about miracles. They didn't want to go to that place that actually, I believe, makes it obvious who they are and where they're from and the God that they're serving, right? The, San, the Sanhedrin, really, I, I think the Sanhedrin was worried about a revolt from the people. The high priest said, what, do you want to continue to bring this man's blood upon us? And, and honestly, the apostles had every opportunity to create such a revolt with thousands of people and create such a problem for the Sadducees and the overall Sanhedrin. They really had everything they needed, but that's not what they wanted. That's not what they intended. Matter of fact, when, when they share these words in, in 28 through 33, the response we've heard before, Jesus, uh, who, whom God raised, whom you killed, he raised him. Look at verse uh, again at verse 31, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. That's amazing. What do you think their hearts were? Where do you think God's intent was? His intent was to bring before them the gospel message. In the midst of create, I mean, in the midst of the threat that, hey, we're guys who could beat you or even put you to death. And they were not worried at all. They weren't afraid. You don't see fear amongst the apostles, which is amazing to me, which is amazing to me. It, it does show us in the scripture that, that trouble can be opportunity, that, that when, when we find trouble because we bear within us that gospel message, that, that it is an opportunity. Yeah, it, it's not time to, to clam up. It's actually time to, to maybe present that gospel message. When we're teased, when we're shamed, when we're threatened, and in face of that, it, it, is, it is all right and even recommended. Share it. Oh, I, I know you have situations and times where that might be very difficult. But in, in a generous and a loving way, we have that great privilege of telling people about the fact that Jesus died for me and he died for you as well. And there's salvation in that. Do you hear that? Do you see that taking place here within the scriptures? Uh, I, I love what Paul shared in Romans chapter 1, 16, what he wrote. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That, where did Paul get his fervor to take the gospel message to all those cities, to introduce it into Ephesus and, and to Rome and to, to Corinthians and on, 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 you know, even having the desire to take it to Spain? Where did that passion come from? Oh, man, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. Why weren't they afraid of the Sanhedrin? Why weren't they afraid? 71 of them and 12 of them, and they stood boldly and declared again and again the gospel message. And they weren't afraid of it. They weren't afraid of it. 
there, there's also a section here. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but beginning in verse 20, excuse me, not 25, in, in verse, um, verses 34 through 37, a guy named Gamaliel, who, who was a Pharisee and a well-respected Pharisee at that, stood up and made a point before them. He shared two instances where there have been some guys before us, uh, one, named, uh, one named Theudas and the other named Jason from, from Galilee who was a Galilean. Um, he, he said there was two instances in the past where we see there was an uprising and they were following this, these leaders and when they died, so did the cause. And so did the heart of those who believed and were following after him. It went away. They were no threat. So what he says in verse 38 is this. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you Leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. And now, again, this is from Gamaliel, and, and this could be debated. There are some things that, that men have created that continue on. We could even say could some cults and things like that that continue on with false teaching. And, and, and they continue on. So th that is debatable. But the next thing cannot I don't believe can be debated at all, especially not just the men, but when we think about the gospel message. Verse 39 says, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will not be able to stop this message, this gospel message. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. The reason I, I say because in, in, in time, each of these men were killed because of their message. They were stopped. But the message continued on. That gospel continued on. Matter of fact, when we think about the Sanhedrin, in about 30-some years from the very point of, of, of them being confronted, or the, these 12 being confronted by the Sanhedrin, about 70 AD, the Sanhedrin absolutely, absolutely stopped with the destruction of Jerusalem. That they no longer existed after that point. Uh, with with the destruction of Jerusalem. Matter of fact, there's yeah, if you look at the uh, you know look it up. There's been several occurrences where they've tried to restart the Sanhedrin, but have not been successful. The Sanhedrin has ended. But guess what? The gospel message flourishes. We know it flourishes because you've received Christ as your Savior. Many of you received Him and are living the freedom from that sinfulness you once held on to. And you know what that freedom is. The gospel flourishes. And, I, and I, I'm eager to show you this. This is actually from next week's text, but i got to read it for you today. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. This is kind of the conclusion, one of those pauses again. But I want you to hear what it has to say. Uh, verse 7 says, And the word of God continued uh, to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, the, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That had to include Sadducees. That had to include the Sadducees. The effect of the gospel message amongst the 70, 71 that were sitting there, uh, it's very likely that many of those came to believe in Christ from the spread of the gospel message. It's powerful. 
The, the, the word that we have is powerful. This gospel message, the story of Jesus, his coming, his death upon the cross on our behalf, his re- is redeeming to us. And, G- and God raised him from the dead, and that's the message we have to share with others. I want, I want to read verses 40 through 42. Just here's the conclusion. The release, of the Sanhedrin releases them. In verse 40, it says, After Gamaliel's speech, he persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged, which means beaten. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Wow. I, I think about that. All the humiliation of standing here, you know, not fearing this group. And then when they're released, they're beaten. And what do they do? They're not, they're not licking their wounds. They are jumping up and down and rejoicing because they've been counted worthy. Do you understand that? They've been counted worthy to declare the message of, of Jesus who died on their behalf. And they are grateful. And they see it as honoring. They're not humiliated at all. They're not humiliated at all. Matter of fact, in verse 42, and you got to love this. 40 says, don't do it. Don't teach Jesus' name anymore. Verse 42, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That is Absolutely refreshing to me. The gospel is a threat to this sinful world. It's going to be a threat to those who you share it with. But it cannot be silenced. It cannot be imprisoned. cannot be jailed. You can be put to death. But the gospel message is powerful and will continue to flourish in this world till God says that's it. Right? Isn't that right? There is nothing that will silence this gospel except for you. I I can't think of anything that will silence this gospel. No outside force could do it. But if I don't have the willingness and I choose fear, I could be silent. We need to pray. We need to pray that we're not choosing fear over, over the power of the gospel. We, we need to find opportunities. It doesn't mean that it's a shakedown. It doesn't mean that we're threatening people at all. It is an approach to loving them and telling them that, hey, listen, you could choose eternal life. And it's in this story of what Jesus did on, for you, uh, for you absolutely upon the cross. We have a privilege of carrying that message. And boy, if, if we're insulted or offended or hurt, we, we have the opportunity to rejoice because we've been privileged to carry within us that gospel message. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. We praise you for this passage. long and but yet a wonderful story of, of God, you working in this world. Look, Lord, it is absolutely true. 
What Matthew said last week, that you are working, continue to work in this world, that we're going to pray for healings, we're going to pray for, for lives to be changed and transformed, and, and we are looking for you to work in this world today. And, and we are especially, Lord, wanting to be involved in this gospel message. It causes us to be uh, uh, nervous. Uh, it causes us to sweat a little bit. But, Lord, I pray for that boldness, the boldness that the apostles had. We know that the Holy Spirit's working within us. We just pray, Lord, when we see an opportunity that, that we might ask that question or we might uh, bring someone into that understanding of who Jesus is to tell it plainly and clearly. Even if it's just sharing what Jesus has done in our lives, how we've been transformed. Oh, Father, we need you, each one of us. Each one of us needs you to direct and guide us and give us the strength to do what we're called to do. And that is to simply present this gospel message to the world around us. We love you, and we ask, Lord, to be our strength throughout this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.